0: the King spread But how great is our God Sing with me how great is our God All will see how great, how great is our God One more time How great with me how great is our god I will see how great how great is our god This is your house Come and dwell This is your And it's a holy house of prayer Where the Lord It's a holy house of prayer, where the lost and the lonely bring their burdens and their cares. We are your house, we are your house, invite him in. I have a maker. He formed my heart. Thank you, Jesus. And before even time began, my life was in. And he hears me when I call. Thank you, Jesus. I have a father. He calls me his own. He'll never.
1: We have a father that hears us when we call. I've called to him a lot this week. Thank you, Lord. You may have your seats for a few minutes. It's good to see everyone. Welcome to Hickory Bible Tabernacle and um, uh, enter into the prayer request. Pray for my voice. Looks <laughs> a little bit, a little bit hoarse today. I was, um, brother put it in E flat. Thank you. Praying this afternoon for um, Sister Vicky Tidwell. Many of you know Brother Terry and Sister Vicky, and, and uh, she needs a touch from the Lord. And uh, I was thinking about this song, and um, I want to I want to try it out. It's called "There Is a Land." It's one of my favorites that Brother Terry's written, and uh, let's sing it together.
0: here. Yeah. I've seen some pretty towns You might say I've been around I found no place to settle down But there is a land I'm just a pilgrim here Traveling through this world of fear My time to leave is drawing near But there is a land, there is a land Though I've never seen it before But I've got loved ones waiting on that shore And there is a land And it's not a million miles away or on some far off distant strand, I'll speed up and then slow down. There is a land, and why am I so homesick for? Just not myself here anymore But now I'm looking for that open door That leads to that land And so I'll try these weeping eyes
1: With my head
0: toward the skies, let's stand and say farewell to this world, goodbye. There is a land, there is a land I'm homesick for, though I've never seen. I've got loved ones waiting on that shore. There is a land. And it's not a million miles away. Or on some far off distant strand. I'll speed up And they'll slow down There is a land Let's worship it There is a land I'm homesick for Though I've never seen it before I've got love Waiting on that shore There is a land on strand, I'll speed up and they'll slow down, there is a land,
1: amen, you can have your seats for just a few minutes, I um, <clears throat> have a couple of announcements. Uh, to get through here, and also some some additional prayer requests, for sure, and uh, Brother David Stevens, if you would, just be ready to come forward and lift these requests to the Lord. Um, uh, first of all, just a reminder that um, the sister's lunch and cookie exchange is on Sunday directly after the morning service, so... Not sure what that is, but it sounds like you give a cookie and you take two cookies. (laughs) So that's the way I interpreted that, cookie exchange. And uh, also, if you haven't done it yet, the Christmas banquet is on the 18th. And we do need to know just about how many people are going to be there so that everyone can prepare. So I would encourage you, if you have not already, please sign up for the banquet I know it'll be a wonderful time of refreshing in the Lord, so please sign up for that on the 18th of this month. Some prayer requests here in addition to the ones that have already been mentioned. Um, Mary Smith, uh, she had just had her second procedure on her neck, and I believe that everything went well. Let's keep praying for her recovery. Uh, Troy and Connie Hughes are out this evening, not uh, feeling well. Uh, Brother Keith's at work, his son Mitchell is not well this evening, so keep him in your prayers as well. And David Whitlock, also would like for you to pray for him. This evening is uh, not doing that well uh, either. Brother David, could you come up and um, as we just uh, bend our will to you,
2: Lord Jesus, we're going to take these prayers to you. Let us pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we just thank you, dear Lord, for giving us an opportunity to come into your house, dear Lord. Middle of the week, lift our cups up, dear Lord, and ask you to fill them once again, dear Lord. We just ask as we come humbly before you, O God, that you forgive us our failures and our shortcomings, dear Lord. We just lift up these brothers and sisters that are We're just binding our faith with them, dear Lord, and lifting up and touching the hem of your garment, dear Lord. We just ask you to anoint their bodies, dear Lord, and restore them up for a testimony of your glory, dear Lord. We ask for those that are traveling, that you be with them, those that are working. Just go to them even now, dear Lord, and give them a special touch. And we just give this service, dear Lord, and tonight solely into your hands may you be glorified, dear Lord. Anoint our ears to hear what we have need of anoint us afresh dear Lord may we leave this place saying that it's been good to be in your house oh God we ask it all in Jesus Christ's name we pray amen, amen.
0: through it all and through it all I've learned to trust. I've learned to trust in God. Well, through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. Let's keep trusting Him. Well, trust in jesus and i've learned to trust in god well through it all through it all i've learned to depend upon his word i'd like to ask the deacons to come
1: forward and um And we're going to take a uh, pause this evening to take the evening offering. So if you have tithes and offering to give as to the Lord, I pray you'll do that. And um, I pray that uh, God will bless those that have to give and those that do not. And uh, Brother Johnny, just lead us to the Lord in prayer and pray over these offerings. Amen. I was doing my Bible study yesterday and was reading in Mark 9. This is after the transfiguration. And Christ tells his disciples for the first time that uh, he prophesies his own death and resurrection. And they're confused and they say, I thought that Elijah was to come first. And he says, he does come first. And he will restore all things, future tense. This is after the death of John the Baptist. And then after Peter heals the blind beggar, he stands up and addresses the crowd on the porch of Solomon. And he says, this Christ Jesus who you crucified must remain in heaven until the time that comes where God will restore all things. I believe this is that time. Amen. Let's Let's stand up and sing in the key of G. These are the days of Elijah amen. amen
0: Well these are the days of Elijah praying the word of the Lord And these are the days of your servant Moses righteousness be restored And though these are days of great trial of famine and darkness and swords, still we are the voice in the desert, crying, "Prepare ye the way of the Lord." Behold, He comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet call. Out of Zion's ill salvation comes. These are the days of Ezekiel, the dry bones becoming as flesh. And these are the days of your servant David, rebuilding a temple of praise. And Are the days of the harvest? The fields are as white in the world, and we are the laborers in your vineyard, declaring the word of the Lord. Behold, he comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet call. There's no, like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah 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 Behold, He comes Riding on the clouds Shining like the sun At the trumpet call Lift your voice It's the year of June and out of Zion's hill shall be Sun comes, behold he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, at the trumpets call if your voice is the year of Jubilee, and out of Zion's hill shall be comes. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise this evening. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. He's coming on the clouds. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. As we begin to um, uh, change the order of the service here, let's put it back into E-flat.
0: Well, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Take up your cross and follow me. Don't be ashamed to say that you know Him. Count up the cost. Take up your cross and follow Him. Well, take up your cross and follow up your cross every day. Don't be ashamed to say that you know Him. Count the cost and take up your cross and follow Him. The name of the Lord is a strong tie run into and they are saved. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The to righteous run into and they are saved. Well, blessed be the name of the Lord it be the name of the Lord, Blessed be the name of the Lord, Mosaic. Well, Blessed be the name of the Lord, Blessed be the name of the Lord, Blessed be the name of the Lord, Moses. Yes, The name of the A strong tower the righteous run into and they are saved the name of
3: Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord, Most High. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the. praise the lord and all god's people said
4: you can be seated just for a moment here hang on musicians if you will and i want to just describe three prayer requests that i wanted to explain tonight and uh, then we'll pray for these three individuals Uh, we're remembering Lori tamlingson who uh, as we have uh, let you know has been diagnosed with uh, multiple sites where uh, they found cancer. Uh, The important part is that she has cancer on both sides of her brain. Uh, They're planning at this particular point, and I haven't heard any update today, but they're planning to uh, try to treat those tumors because that's the primary site at this point where they're um, hoping to slow down the progress of that cancer, and then they uh, hopefully will deal with other parts of her body. The second uh, person that I wanted to mention tonight is Sister Karen Propolis. She's the wife of Steve Propolis in Baltimore, Maryland. And we've uh, mentioned uh, Sister uh, Karen before. Uh, The hospice is saying that, uh, you know, unless God intervenes or unless there's a miracle, uh, she's not long for this world. So I I wrote to Brother Steve today, communicated with him, and um, told him that we would certainly bring her before the Lord tonight. In prayer, so it's very serious. As well, uh, our Rebecca, Andrew's wife, uh, has a cousin. Her name is Laura Collins. And uh, Laura is about the same age as as Rebecca. She was in her wedding. And uh, they have diagnosed that she has uh, an incurable form of cancer as well. So she's not very old. Um, They say that with this uh, kind of cancer that has spread all through her body, uh, she would have about two to three years to live. So the only thing that they're planning to do at this particular point is do chemotherapy every, uh, I believe it's every six weeks. They're planning to try to uh, slow the progress down, but the prognosis that they gave her today was not very, not very good. And uh, Rebecca is very close to her, and um, you know is just a, just a special friend, and uh, lives up in Edmonton, and uh, we want to hold her and her husband, and her young kids. I think her oldest kid is about 10 years old uh, as a girl, and um, it's certainly been a great shock to the family. So uh, these are serious needs, and uh, I I told in in each one of these cases, our God is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And uh, sometimes when it seems like the deck, deck is stacked against us, that's still no match for Uh, For our God Uh, he's a healer and we're just going to present these needs before him and uh, just trust that he'd be merciful in these cases here so let's stand to our feet uh, this evening again and um, I'd like just to sing one little chorus uh, have your way and then we'll uh, join together in prayer if you don't mind and uh, these are members of the body these are people who have served the Lord for many years uh, these are people that would pray for you if they knew about the need. So let's just join our hearts together this evening.
3: Have your way Have your way Holy Spirit fill our hearts And have your way we wait, as we pray, speak your word into our hearts and have your way.
4: Kind Heavenly Father, we bring our hearts, Lord, in in line with you tonight lord and with expectation we just view this as an opportunity lord where you can come by and speak to us lord where you can visit us even if it's just momentarily a moment in your presence is a great and a precious thing to the bride of christ and lord we bring our petitions to thee tonight lord there are people here lord that gathered together that no doubt have needs. I, I believe, Lord, if we went around this room, every one of us and everyone who's listening, Lord, would have things they would like to say to you if they had a moment physically in your presence. And, Lord, we believe that you're attentive to our cry. Father, tonight, though, especially, we bind our faith together on behalf of these special needs, Lord. We hold Sister Karen Propolis, Sister Lori Tamblinson, and Sister Laura Collins before the throne of grace and mercy tonight we collectively lord we want to just say that we believe you're a healer tonight the same as you ever were. We curse this demon of cancer that would come and afflict your people. These are people lord who are not elderly in any by any stretch lord. These are people that still have life ahead of them to serve you and to live for you and I we claim them tonight lord by faith and we we just Present them to you, Lord Jesus, believing that you're a God of mercy and a God who cares. And these families, Lord, and all they're going through, and all the turmoil, and all the heartache that they feel. Lord, we cannot take their place, but Lord, we can walk through them. We can walk with them, Lord, through this valley they're going through. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we lift them up before you. Father, we pray now tonight that your Holy Spirit would take free reign among us. And that, Lord, you would just speak to us in a personal way. You have met us so many times, Lord. So many occasions we've come together, Lord. Just even a handful of people, but you've met us. And we want to say tonight, Lord, it's good for us again to be in your house. Forgive us of anything that may be contrary to the moving of the Holy Spirit. May, Lord, you take complete control here tonight. We bind any contrary spirit, any spirit that might be found among us lord we bind it in the name of jesus christ and pray that you would just take complete control have your way now we pray lord in jesus Christ's name amen and amen praise the lord i'm going to ask you to take your bible if you go to ephesians tonight the book of ephesians and we're going to be going and looking into the second chapter uh, tonight second chapter of ephesians May God bless you, appreciate you being here tonight, and uh, I think it's uh, just always a wonderful thing that we can get together and just bring our Bibles and come and study without any, uh, without any uh, fanfare or anything else, just in the simplicity of an evening like this, and just to be able to study and, and uh, fellowship with one another. I think it's great. Ben, good to have you here. Uh, I hadn't heard about Emma today, I assume she's feeling better, back to school, well, We want to keep her in prayer uh, as well. We may be having a baptism on the weekend, so we'll let you know uh, about that as we go. So we have a full day on Sunday for sure, and um, looking forward to our fellowship together. Ephesians 2, verse 14, For he is our peace who has made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, Jew and Gentile. Paul is not excluding anyone here, but he's made both one down, uh, sorry, and broken down the middle wall of partition between us. So between God and mankind, he has removed that wall by his own blood. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of two one new man so making peace. That is the heart of God, to make peace. How many would agree? And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Aren't you glad for the cross? May God, and that blessing, you may be seated. Part 21. I'm not sure how... How oh, you can pull this off, but this is part twenty one, part two. Because I dealt specifically with reconciliation before. So we have part two of part twenty one. I think. Let's take a look here in the into this scripture. And I want to deal with this subject of reconciliation. We want to deal with it again. Sometimes the greatest treasures are found in very simple things in the Scripture because all of it reveals God. And somehow or another, it seems like the simple things, they seem like an easy gateway for us, but they lead to great things. And and that's the beauty of of Scripture. When you think it may be just something really simple, uh, it, it sometimes can lead us to great things that we can, enjoy and we can hold on to and we can understand. Brother Branham makes this statement here. He says, people today make the gospel too complicated for people, and that's always been the reason it goes over the head of the common people. And the gospel was sent for all. How many can say amen? The gospel was sent for you, whether you're young or old or in the faith a long time. But it's usually the common people that hears it, and Luke said the common people heard Jesus gladly. So Brother Branham says, we don't want to make it complicated. We certainly don't. Let's let it, let's let it speak for itself. Let's let it unveil and reveal itself as the prophet taught us it would do. Because I believe that, uh, at, at the core of what God is trying to do at the moment is to prepare not only individuals, but to prepare families, uh, for the, for the change of our body, for the rapture of the church. We believe we're in that cycle. I believe that God is preparing families for that. And I think it's important for you to, uh, to, uh, even dare to believe that, uh, you can claim your family, uh, just like Rahab claimed her family and pull them all in underneath the token. And you just allow God to sort out who's who. Don't try to, you know, uh, predestinate somebody and unpredestinate somebody else. Uh, you just pray for your family, pray for your kids, bring them all in the, under the token and live that way because we don't want to lose anyone and we don't want to leave anyone behind. I believe every one of you here tonight, everyone, everyone who's a member of HBT wants to make it. I believe that with all my heart. I, I don't believe that we want to be bogged down with politics or anything else or uh, problems or you know, uh, you know, restrictions of any kind. I, I believe we all want to make it. And I believe God wants you to make it even more than you do. And so God has laid, uh, laid down provisions for all of us uh, to make it. And I believe that uh, salvation is a, a very important thing, and it's all uh, by the, the the choices that we make. obviously we, we are creatures of uh, free moral agency, but the Holy Spirit knows exactly what we would choose and what age we would be in and how we would respond to the word The, uh, the, the, the truth is, and the important thing is that the the word of uh, the word of parents. Let me say this very carefully. I don't think that we can underestimate the word of parents, even in relation to redemption. You remember when when Brother Branham visited the house of Hattie Wright, and her sons were unsaved, but when she said what she did, uh, there was a connection there to what she said and the redemption of those two boys. And that was a parent speaking for her children. Now, Some of you parents are nodding here because you have children that are unsaved at this particular point. My goodness, that's that's a powerful thing when you think about it, that a, a, a parent, someone with a mother's heart like that could speak and actually move the heart of God in dealing with those two unsaved sons. That's a pretty powerful thing. Because God is always attracted to the right kind of speaking. God is, the presence of God has always been drawn by certain kinds of speaking and saying the right things. Would you, could you agree with that? So, when, when the Jews, for instance, back in the days of Jesus, they cried out and said, Let his blood be upon us, God reacted one way. But when Sister Hattie Wright said what she did, God reacted another way. And God is, the presence of God has always been drawn by a certain kind of speaking and talking and saying certain things. And when we say the right things and we say the thing that God wants us to say, there seems to be a divine response to that uh, that makes a difference. It, it's not just a passive thing, but it makes a difference. And that's just something I want you to think about because it's a, it's a powerful thing. Now, think about this, that we have been using this, this whole idea in this service, in this little series here on uh, Shalom in the Home, You can imagine now about the things that are said in our houses, the things that are said within our relationships, they matter to God because they will either push the presence of God away or they'll draw it in, one or the other. I don't believe the presence of God is a neutral thing. It's not just automatically here because it's Wednesday night. I don't think so. We bring the presence of God with us. And by our worship and our continuing worship as we hear the word, we can draw the presence of God even closer or we can drive it back by our disbelief and our argument against the the word of God. Isn't that right? So by opening your heart to the right thing and saying the right thing and responding to the right thing, I'll tell you, it, it can be a powerful thing because it can draw the presence of God even closer. And in the presence of God, nothing is impossible. So take that and just apply it to your home and say, oh, you know, at, at church, everybody seems to be doing well. Every, you know, I hear an amen, and uh, you know, that's a nice thing. Hey, listen, uh, uh, God is concerned about what's said in your home because he wants to be able to come into your home and bless your family just like he wants to bless you here when you sit in agreement to God's word, Right? We, we realized when we were raising our kids way back, when we were, uh, you know, doing, doing the first years of homeschooling and our boys' feet never touched the, uh, the floor when they were sitting at their desk, you know, way back then. And we realized that, uh, you know, part of our job was, was to create an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit was always welcome to come into our school. That was one of the things we strove for. That was one of the things we fought for is that the Holy Spirit would always be welcome to come into this school. He would be welcome to visit us anytime. And we'd be doing nothing that would grieve him away from that. And that was that was a uh, kind of a, a motive that we had. That was a, uh, if you like, uh, the modus operandi of our school. That was the that was the vision of our school was to create that atmosphere and maintain that atmosphere. Because it's easy to kind of say it, write it down on paper, put it on the board. But it's a different thing to maintain it as you go through the trying times at home. So whether it's, whether it's your, in your homeschooling or whether it's in your, uh, daily life, whether it's in your, uh, coming together in the evening when you come together for a meal and you do family things together, what's said makes a difference. And think about this, that, uh, you know, it it is important for us to learn to say the right thing and control, uh, control ourselves so that we don't say the wrong thing, uh, to drive the presence of God away. Because good things happen always in the presence of God. Now, we, sorry, we have, uh, we were dealing with this subject a little while back in a wounded spirit, and we talked a little bit about when we are wounded and uh, by something that someone says to us, or we would be offended, but that person is right. The truth uh, sometimes can uh, seem offensive to us, but nonetheless, truth is truth, and now it is a responsibility for every one of us to say truth in a gentle way. Because there is a right way and a wrong way to do anything, and then reconciliation is always the goal. So this is kind of where we got on this idea of reconciliation, and we want to talk tonight about what if they won't reconcile. We're going to look at two characters in the Bible: one that did reconcile and one that didn't, and we look at the outcomes of those two. But let me get there for a moment. Let me get there if you don't mind. Now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump a little bit. Brother Branham tells us in the church age book, now this is an admonition for churches, but he says repent quickly and don't hesitate. And he's referring to the Ephesus church who didn't repent and God removed their candlestick. You'll find many places where Brother Branham talks about uh, the speed of your repentance or the speed of correction. And he says if you know that something's wrong or if you know you need to make something right, go, go fast, go then. Don't linger. Don't don't wait uh, a week and, and then uh, f- consider doing it. He said, go quickly. And he says this also as well about the church and the early church here in Ephesus. Repent quickly. Don't hesitate. Evidently, Ephesus did hesitate, and her lifespan was not very long. So there are consequences for delay. The glory of God decreased ever so rapidly, and it was not long until the city was in ruins, and there was not even one Christian left in the city of Ephesus. The lamp was rent from from its place, and now it does not mean that uh, she could not have repented. It doesn't mean that we cannot repent. We can, but we must do it quickly. It must be, though, a true heart cry to God in sorrow, then God will restore. It is not good enough that you have the mental agreement about forgiveness. It has to come from a true heart's cry to be right with God, to forgive somebody, and then to bring forth fruits, meet for repentance. It is no good just to go through the motions or go through it mentally. It has to be taken out and expressed in real terms. We'll show you in just a little bit here. We'll give you some concrete examples here. So let's just quickly review what is reconciliation. And uh, we find in Colossians 1 that it pleased the Father that in him, in Christ, should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross... By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And and reconciliation here means to bring back to a former state. So in other words, we uh, we had harmony with God. We had a relationship with God. Or we had a place with God, but something happened that changed that picture. And so therefore, reconciliation is all about bringing things back to that former state before the interruption occurred. All right, Pretty simple, right? When there's a, when there's a fracture, when there's a division, when there, is, uh, when there is separation, reconciliation means that we're going to bring it back to where it was and then move on from there. So it requires two people. As I said before, forgiveness can be between you and God. But reconciliation is something that God impresses upon our heart to do, but it involves somebody else. Okay, so we're going to we're going to have to have two people involved here. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled, took two people in that act of reconciliation in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That's a great thing that he did. And he did it all without money or price. He did it because he loved you. Remember now, the motive is love. The motive is that he wanted you to be back in harmony with him. The motive is that uh, he didn't want you to remain that way uh, in a uh, unharmonious, Is probably not a word, disharmony, non-harmony, no harmony with God. He didn't want to leave you in that place. I don't know what the word is. I'll have to to think about that. But he, 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 by the cross, wanted to reconcile all things unto himself. And bring it back into harmony again with God. That's the basic understanding. Now, Jesus Jesus practiced this as well. We find in Hosea 6, the Bible said, I desired mercy, not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. That's what Hosea wrote uh, many years before Jesus. But when Jesus came, this is what he did. In Matthew chapter 9, came to pass that as Jesus sat at the house, uh, He sat at meat in the house. Behold, Republicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. And go and learn what that meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. So Jesus is referring us back to Hosea here to figure out uh, what it means to say, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. And I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So which is more important, sacrifices or mercy? Which takes precedence? Worship and sacrifice? Hey, listen, God delights in the praises of his people, doesn't he? Sacrifice is a big deal to God. I mean, in the very first, in the Garden of Eden, when somebody sinned, God offered a sacrifice. A lamb was slain, right? Sacrifice and worship are, are a very important thing because blood gets shed in a, in a true sacrifice. Somebody has to die. There's a replacement there. It's a, it's a very important thing. Uh, when we think about uh, mercy and sacrifice and, uh, sorry, sacrifice and worship, those things are very important to God. Uh, we don't even approach God without blood. So, mercy and sacrifice, sorry, sacrifice and worship are two very important things. But watch again what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 as we, as we read. Ye have heard that it was said of them in old time, ye shall not kill. and Whosoever shall kill shall be uh, in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, who is angry with his brother without a cause shall be uh, in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Racha, shall be in danger of the counsel. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall actually be in danger of hellfire. This is murder in the oral sense. This is what Jesus is referring to. That you can take this moral principle here and... Not necessarily touch somebody, but you can destroy somebody's character and reputation by the words that you say. And Jesus says, you shouldn't do that. This is all about anger and all of the, the example that Jesus uses. And then he says, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, worship and sacrifice. If thou bring thy gift to the altar and thou rememberest that thy brother had ought against thee, what takes precedence? We're going to leave the gift at the altar and go thy way. So therefore, reconciliation, as Jesus said, first be reconciled, then come and bring thy gift. So the first thing that God wants is reconciliation. Think about your house now. Think about your conversations with your spouse or with your children or whatever else. Think about that and think what comes first. It isn't necessarily that you write the tithe check first. Or that everybody looks good going to church and everybody's got coordinated clothing. That's that's important to some people. The image we present is very important to some people, right? Whether your special is practiced, that's important to some people. And whether we're looking good as a family in the pew, that is an important thing. Because you want everybody to look at you and say, my, they're such a consistently fine family. And they're here every service, you know that? And they just do so many things, and they're wonderful people. They must be just wonderful people. Let me assure you that that does not impress God if there's something you should do first. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter at all if you go to all the right camps and you stand with the rest of the people and point your finger at the preacher and holler amen as loud as you can. It doesn't matter if you do that. If you needed to stop that, go make this right, then come back and amen the preacher. Because a lot of it is just religious stuff. And God has never been attracted to or impressed by religious stuff. So He gives us, I'm not giving you this... He gives this, and that's why I come back to it again tonight. He gives us the priority that we need to first be reconciled, and then we practice mercy and worship. Mercy is an important thing. Worship is an important thing. But reconciliation, to me here, is even more important than that. Can I go a little further? Reconciliation means to change the mind of somebody. To change the mind of somebody. And that's a challenging thing to do. But that's the that's the challenge or the gauntlet that's laid down before us to change the mind of somebody. How that person thinks about me is probably going to require me going. It's probably going to require me uh, making the first step. We are not commanded anywhere in Scripture to wait until thine enemy comes to thee. We're not commanded anywhere to do that. When you remember that somebody has all against you, you're supposed to go. That's what it says. So therefore, leave the, the gift before the altar and go thy way and come and offer. then come and offer thy gift. Agree. Agree with an adversary quickly. Agree means to wish one well, to be well disposed of a peaceable spirit. It's really, really hard to deal with anyone who does not want to wish their enemies well even if they'll never be their best friend. You know what? I want them to make it. I want them to be well. I want them to be healed. I want them to grow and prosper. Even if, even if they don't include me in, my, in their life. Even if we never be best buddies again. You know what? I want, to have, uh, I want to be well disposed of a peaceable spirit. I want that person to not be nervous when they come around me. I don't want any of you ever to be nervous to come around me. I know that it's still here in our assembly. That if I say to the deacons and I text them after church and say, hey, can you send Brother Ethan around to uh, my office afterwards? People are like, whoa. Whoa, what did Ethan do? He's in trouble now. It's really funny the other day, though, when somebody came into my office and they wanted to talk to me and I immediately reacted like, whoa, am I in trouble? (laughs) I did that automatically. So I get it. You know, I get it. But I don't want anybody... Uh, to ever feel nervous about coming to me. And I I think that we should be that way uh, about one another. The only way that that will happen is if you have a peaceable spirit. If every time you see somebody, you argue, uh, or you have a difference, or you, you, you you don't want to be around that person, they sense that. Dogs sense that. Dogs sense that. Animals sense that. So therefore, Jesus, these are words in red now, and Jesus is saying, Agree with thine adversary while thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and so forth. So you want to to have an attitude of wishing one well, even the people that you do not agree with. But think about how much more important this is among people who are all under the same roof. That you want to agree with somebody who... uh, You want to be gentle in your dealings with somebody. Even in correction, you want to be gentle. I have found, this is my own experience, I've found that in dealing with my boys and growing up, I dealt with them better one-on-one than at the dinner table say, all right, now i got something to say to one of you guys. One of you guys is a loser, and I want to say it here tonight. So Everybody knows in the house. Let me assure you that that's not going to help anybody, especially the person who is a loser. It's certainly not going to help. Take, I found more effectively, it's good to take them aside. They're uh, much more, uh, much more in, a, in a receptive position. It's a much better way uh, to get things done. All right. Now, watch again. Moreover, this is Matthew 18 now. Moreover, if thy brothers shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Hold on. What's, what's in common here? What's in common here between Matthew chapter 5? Leave thy gift before the altar and go thy way and first be reconciled. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. What's in common here? The word go. The word go shows up in both of these places where Jesus is teaching about you being offended. About you being hurt or misunderstood. It says for you to go. You mean, Brother Barry, that I have to go? I'm just saying what Jesus said. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. That's the point, right? Reconciliation is the point. When you have a situation, say, in the church, where there's an offense or something's done, and you know, this, this person can't be uh, reconciled by you going to him, then he says, hey, take uh, two, or, two more uh, in the mouth of two or three witnesses and so forth. Uh, and move on up the line there and so forth, because Jesus says in the bottom line here, Verily I say unto you that whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever shall be loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There's a, in other words, there's an inbred power in the church that you shouldn't underestimate. There's a power in the church that you shouldn't underestimate. And, and if there's something wrong, the church actually, in agreement, they have the power to bind a certain thing or to loose a certain thing. It's not very often practiced here, but it is better practiced if we do it individually and on our own. The best thing you can do is communicate in such a way that you can go and you can talk about that fault between you and that brother. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But don't go and say, well, I went to him. I did my duty. I went to him. You should rather hold back and say, Lord, my prayer is that when I go, we'll be able to work through this. We'll be able to reconcile this thing. And Lord, I don't want to go until I know that's my chief motive. That's the thing that's on my heart more than anything else. I'm not trying to prove uh, something here. I'm not trying to be the, the better man. I'm not trying to do any of that. Lord, I just, I'm just i wanting to see that family move on. I'm wanting to see that individual be, be uh, reconciled back into the presence of God. That's my whole desire. And until you have that, don't go. But when you have that as, as you, the motive in your heart, then you should go. Now Watch. Here's an example of Philemon. The book of Philemon is one chapter. And it's all about Paul writing a letter. Maybe, maybe, Brother John and I were talking about before church, maybe this was Onesimus being the carrier of that letter, not knowing what was in it. I don't know. We, we don't know the outcome. We don't know what happened when, uh, when, when uh, Onesimus' uh, master was petitioned. Uh, to forgive onesimus we don't know we only know that paul listen now the apostle paul in chains in his house about to die made it a point to try to bring reconciliation between onesimus and his master that was important enough for paul to dedicate this time to it and this is what he says yet for love's sake i rather beseech thee being such a one as paul the aged and now also a prisoner of jesus christ I beseech thee, I'm asking thee, for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him that is mine own bowels. This is like a part of me. This is a part of me on two legs that's coming to you. Now, think about this for a moment here. That's, that's great. I mean, that's, a, that's a good, an act of reconciliation. Look back a little bit further here in the culture. In the culture, this is a man who is a slave. He was purchased. And he's a slave in a household. Slaves didn't have rights. Slaves didn't have honor. Slaves didn't have a position at the table. Slaves didn't often have an income. Slaves had nothing. They were just like property back in that day. And so here is Paul asking that this slave would come back and be considered a brother. He said, I want you, he says, I'm, I've sent him again, I want you to receive him. Not only, not only as, as one who's reconciled back to thee again, but as a brother as well. Because not only is he a slave, in other words, of no, uh, you know, of no position in society, but he also is a slave that stole from his master. He stole money from his master and probably sold, or, or goods and, and sold them on the way and ran off to Rome. And that's where Paul runs into him. And by the providence of God, uh, Paul meets him and talks to him. Here's his story. And he looks at this man and he says, wow, man, listen, I love you. I'd love for you to stay with me as my servant all the days I'm living in this house. But there's one, listen, there's one great big gaping thing that's going on in your life. And you've got to get it fixed and paul takes the time to deal with this reconciliation between this man who's lower than a slave because he's a thieving slave and to come back to his master and have his master put his arms around him and wash his feet at the next communion service yeah and paul paul says it like this paul's got you know paul's got this onesimus and he's and he's kind of like you know what, this is, this is my buddy, this is my brother, this is my servant here, and I, I, I'm, I'm throwing myself between, look at what he's doing, I'm, I'm throwing myself between you and him, and I, I, I just want to beseech you here, I'm asking you that Paul, Paul, an apostle and a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and I'm about to die, in a sense this is a dying petition that I want to make. Are you getting the point of how important this is to Paul? And he says, by the way, he says, I'm sending my credit card number here because if he owes you anything, charge it on my card. There's no price too great for me to pay to facilitate reconciliation. He doesn't say, listen, if he owes you anything up to $1,000, then you can charge it on my card. He doesn't say that. He says, hey, listen, I'm standing in the breach for him. I'm, in a sense, I'm reflecting what Jesus did on Calvary for this man right here. And whatever it is that is to his charge, I want want it to be made right. And if he can't afford it, I want you to take it from my account. This is not a trivial thing. I just need you to understand that this is not a trivial thing. And therefore, if it's not a trivial thing for people who are not family, how about among family. Now read what I wrote here. One of the early fathers said, the absence of reconciliation robs the church of the power of unity. It doesn't just rob the church of unity, but it robs the church of the power of unity because I believe there's power when we all agree on something. When we all agree on anything, I believe that there's a power that exists among us. I wrote this. When we remain at odds and insist on focusing on our points of disagreement, in other words, that becomes the conversation, that becomes the talk, and we insist on focusing on our points of disagreement, we risk, listen, we risk deepening our state of disconnection, which is the opposite of reconciliation. When we focus and we remain right there, and I will tell you, if Satan can get you to focus on your disagreements, he can leave town. He can go on to another church, right? He can leave town. When you're focused on your disagreements, when when all you talk about is your disagreements, when all you talk about is how hurt you are, and when all you talk about is, is this this issue, and she said it, he said that they said that she said. And they wouldn't sit next to me. Maybe they didn't want to. In this state, we miss the rich benefits of unity and suffer the passivity of an impotent church. I don't want to be an impotent church. But the costliest losses are the loss of satisfaction and joy in being part of God's plan and active work in the world to reconcile others to Him and to us. That is really good, Brother Barry. Amen. The costliest loss is the loss of satisfaction and joy in being part of God's plan and act of work in the world to reconcile other people. In other words, you are, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. So this is not just for preachers. You are a minister of reconciliation. You're an ambassador for reconciliation. And why should somebody believe you about reconciliation when you can't even reconcile yourselves together in the same church? Or you can't reconcile yourselves together in the same youth group. Or you can't reconcile yourselves together in the same family. Why should somebody be attracted to the message of reconciliation you bring when you've been given the minister of reconciliation? In other words, uh, you know, uh, the sign out on our uh, church uh, uh, entrance out there, if we had a sign, if we had one of those nice stone lit signs that some churches have like up the road, but we don't have. It should be, this is Hickory Bible Tabernacle, a ministry of reconciliation. Because that's really what we are. I mean, we are offering, we are offering the way out to this world. We are offering salvation. We're, all, we're throwing a lifeline to whoever wants to receive it, right? Isn't that true? That's what this message was. God threw a lifeline in the last day and said, grab a hold of this. It's got rapturing faith. I'll yank you right out of the world and back up in the glory where you belong. Somebody comes by in the street, you know what we say, we still say to them, grab a hold of it at the end of this line, we'll pull you right into the rapture with the rest of the bride. This is your way out, this is the way home, this is the reconciliation between you and God, this is it. We've got the message of that. So they come in among us here and sit down and say, wow, so all you people are reconciled, right? All you people are one big happy family, all for one and one for all, in the words of Matt Watkins, as you said Sunday morning. You're all that, right? don't misjudge my, food, my carnality here, my smiling face. Don't misjudge it. Is it all right if somebody comes in and examines? Is it all right if somebody comes in off the street and says, hey, if that's who you are, the ministers of reconciliation today, with a message of hope, peace, grace, and deliverance, if you're that people, and certainly you practice it yourselves, Certainly you got it, right? Certainly you're willing to go the extra mile, turn the other cheek, give the cloak. Certainly you're willing to lay down your anger and, and uh, you know uh, disagreements and reconcile and come to the communion table washing feet and serving one another. Surely you are. Is it all right if somebody comes in and examines that? Is it all right if somebody comes in and looks a little bit, a little, a little bit deeper than the surface and the singing? Oh, what lovely singing. Oh my, they sing like angels. You're supposed to be this. Are we this? Are we practicing this? Because you know what? We really have no right to preach this until we practice this first. Everybody hearing me tonight? All the people online said? Nothing. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Jesus did not come and offer us reconciliation. But at first, he was reconciled with God. He was at one with God. And he said, I do that which only pleases the Father. I live in, in, in a, an atmosphere, and I live with an attitude of pleasing the Father. How's that going? Do we, live, do we live with an attitude of getting even with one another? Do we live with an attitude of, you know, jabs? Speaking in thumbs? We pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. In other words, do this. We don't do it, but you do this. If you want to be saved, do this. We don't do it, but you do Go ahead and do it. And all they heard was the creaking of his shoes. Here's Brother Ram's advice to us. Come back to a lamb. Come back to a lamb. Come back to being like a lamb. Come back to be gentle. Come back to know nothing. Come back to just submit yourself to Christ. Don't try Don't try to know nothing. Just walk meekly, quietly, humbly, gently, and the dove will lead you. Whenever you go listening to that gossip, whenever you go to getting that temper up, whenever you go to thinking you've got a right to do this and a right to do that, the dove just takes her flight and goes. Now, The problem is, is that we've referred to this scripture, is that when a root of bitterness begins, it springs up and many are defiled. Many are affected by a root of bitterness when it really takes root. But everyone has to respond to hurt. There are times when we have conflict. Listen, there are are three things I want to say. There are times when we have conflict with God and his will. Sometimes God will tell us to do something or require something of us that we have trouble with, and we have to reconcile with that. There are times when we have conflict with this life, things in life. Some people don't like to grow old. You know what? you got to deal with it. you got to reconcile with it. There's really not much you can do about it, right? Aging is a part of life. That's just an example. The third thing, though, is conflict with other people. You have to come to a place, because offenses will occur, you have, to, you have to come to a place of reconciliation where you can learn and practice to think differently about this person despite the fact that there may be an offense. Now, ju- oh, I've got a few minutes left, so let's, let's just focus on this. Brother Branham says, now, joining ch- don't just join church now. That won't work. You've got to be born again. And this is not an emotional workup and not some little something that you said, well, I shouted and spoke with tongues. Then That ain't it. When really in your heart, when really in your heart, something comes to change you, it is not a challenging thing for you to sit there and nod your head at what I'm saying. But it's a different thing for you to come out of this whole series and out of this whole process changed. If I could... I would change some things if I could, but I can't. I find it's really hard even for me to change me, really hard. And, uh, man, it, it, it's, it's really pointless for me to put my energy into trying to change other people, and that's not going to be profitable at all. So work on the me part first. When you get that done, then, then you probably have a right to say some other things. But really, in your heart, something comes to change you, and you become a new creature in Christ. You receive the person of Christ Jesus. Then old things die out; new things are born again. You make things right. This is what he says: When when Christ comes in, you make things right that you did wrong. You love your enemies. You pray for those who despitefully use you. Hey, you want to have shalom in the home? You want to have shalom in the church? You want to have shalom in your life? You want to have shalom in your mind? Sure. Well, you're not going to do it without the Holy Spirit. Really, you're not going to do it. Now, armies armies, and nations can write, make truces. <clears throat> that doesn't mean that there is a peace. That doesn't mean that there's agreement just because there's a truce. <laughs> I, I was being raised and educated in Canada. I thought, I thought Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War took care of all the differences between North and South between uh, different colors, I—I I mean, hey, raised in Canada, you know, gave everyone the benefit of the doubt. I thought it was all settled, and then I moved to the states. I remember, whoa, whoa, whoa! We're in a store in Columbus, and I remember this person treating me a certain way, and I said to my wife, "Did you see that?" She said, "Welcome to the North." I said. You mean there is still is a line, the Mason-Dixon line? Yes, honey, there still is a line. Ah, fell over. Fell over in the parking lot. Now watch. Rather than turn to it just for time's sake, Genesis chapter 50, if ever there was a person, if there was ever anyone who had a right to get even, uh, to remain unreconciled to his family. It would have been Joseph, right? I mean, they owed him one, big time. So Joseph goes through the, you know, the, the chapter where he reveals himself to his brothers and they all hug together and uh, you know, everything is great. And you know, they, they move down to Egypt and they all come there and they live together uh, with Jacob and everything's great, right, for those years. All of a sudden then Jacob dies, when Jacob dies, he says, Hey, boys, when I die, take me back up to Israel. Bury me next to Father Abraham and uh, grandfather Abraham and next to Isaac. Bury me up there where Sarah's buried. That's where, that's where the resurrection's going to occur. So he made him promise. So he dies. Joseph takes a leave of absence. Off he goes up to Israel, buries his father, comes back. Ah, when he arrives back, his brothers all of a sudden it dawns on them, and he said, Wow, now father's not around. Now father father's not around. Joseph can do whatever he wants. He's got the power. He's got the opportunity. He would have the motive. He would have good reason, in other words, to get even with us. You know what? We're sunk. And they realize they're in a position, they're in a very vulnerable position now. And it all depends on whether, on whether Joseph really meant what he said. Because it isn't just good enough for him to say it. Watch what the, the scripture says. They sent a messenger unto Joseph. The brothers did. Thy father did command before he died. So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren in their sin. For they did it unto evil. Now we pray, Forgive the trespass of thy servants, uh, of, of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spoke it unto him. They actually sent a messenger. They sent an email. And they composed it and sent it to Joseph and said, Remember what Father said? Remember? We're just reminding you, just in case you never heard. Remember what he said? He said, forgive. They did it evil. They realize that. They're sorry. They really meant, uh, you know, they're in in their repentance. So you're going to forgive, right? Because if they didn't, they were dead ducks. They had every right to think this way, in a sense. But when Joseph read it, he thought, How could they be still thinking? that I'm going to hurt them. And it says that he wept. And his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. They're bringing themselves lower than brothers, lower than family. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? In other words, am I a judge? But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive through the famine. Now, therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your, 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 your children and your grandchildren. And the Bible says, and he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. So the fruit, the fruit of real forgiveness was in his actions. And one of the signs that he had really forgiven them was that he spoke kindly to them. He didn't say, ha ha, I'm right, you're wrong, let's not say anything else about it. He didn't do that, he spoke kindly to them. And he wanted by his words to make sure they understood that this issue was over. Am I ringing any bells? Am I going down anybody's street? Does this make sense? The evidence that he really had forgiven his brothers was how he spake. The evidence that he really had reconciled himself with those brothers and all they did was how he spake to them. Now, Make reconciliation the goal. All right, let's look at two characters very quickly. The first one is Micah. If you will, take your Bible. It's the only Bible verse I'm going to ask you to look at in Micah chapter 7. Would you turn to that with me if you have your Bible? If not, look at your neighbor if that's appropriate. uh, Micah chapter 7. Micah, and in summary, Micah is actually kind of saying, I wish I had a church that believed the message. I wish I had a church of people who believed God's word. I wish I had a group of people that were cooperative and loved God more than anything else. And I didn't have to go around correcting him. And, and I'm paraphrasing, and I don't mean to belittle the words of the prophet here because he did a great thing. Micah did a great thing. And how many know that Brother Branham loved Micah? He was the one that Brother Branham often referred to Micah because, uh, you know, when the, uh, you know, he prophesied in a room full of prophets, remember that? And they all prophesied, hey, we'll go up and take the, take the land back. And Micah stood there and said, Ain't going to happen. I see Israel as a, sh- a bunch of sheep without a shepherd. Remember that? And the high priest came over and struck him on the face and all the other drama that took place there. Brother Bram loved Micah because he, he, uh, he stood his ground. And back in that day, back in that day, the land, the land that Micah lived in, the way the conditions were, that judges couldn't wait to be bought with money. The authorities were people who were covetousness, they full of covetousness, the streets were unsafe, violence was, un, uh, was a very common thing, and you couldn't trust your brother or even your wife back then. That's how bad things actually were. Now, if you don't mind, read chapter 7 with me just for a few verses here and watch what he says. Woe is me, for I am as when they have gathered the summer fruit, as the great gleanings of the vintage. There is no cluster to eat. My soul desired the first ripe fruit. At the harvest time, there should be results. There should be blessings. There should be benefits. There should be bounty. And you know what? When I look, in other words, let me paraphrase. When I look at Israel, there's nothing good coming from it. There's nothing good coming out of this vineyard. What What a terrible thing. As he says, woe is me. When I look at all the labors and the ministry and the preaching and everything else, woe is me. That's what he says. The good man has perished out of the earth. And there is none upright among men that's quite a statement I don't find any upright men in the land they all lie and wait for blood they hunt every man his brother with a net they're all going after the lawsuit that they may do evil with both hands earnestly in other words they're all in causing mischief and the prince asketh and the judge asketh for a reward judges are not supposed to ask for a reward I'll rule this way buddy if you give me a dozen camels What do you think? And the great man, he uttereth his mischievous desire. So they wrap it up. The best of them is as a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. And the day of thy watchman and thy visitation cometh. Now shall be their perplexity. The best of them is as a briar. And the most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. I got to tell you this story very quickly. Recently, one of my sons shot a deer. And when he shot the deer, the deer went up in the air about five feet and came down, took off. It was a clean lung shot, and the deer wasn't going to make it very far. He jumped the fence, ran over about 15 feet, and got underneath this briar. And I had never seen such a thing. What a tangle of thorns and branches and everything else. And it was, I couldn't, he had my my powerful flashlight and he was shining, and he said, There it is. And he looked, and there was, the, there was the deer underneath. Ran and got underneath that, that pile and was underneath there. Trees down, branches down, all interlocking. So he said, we've got to get it out. I looked at him, and I said, you got to get it out. <laughs> he said, well, we've got to get to it first. We called on Lucas, our trustee. We called on Lucas... And he went and got a cutters, and it was so thorny and thick and, and sharp, my hands still have. And I had gloves, leather gloves, and my hands were still cut up. And my uh, grandchildren came up, and they said, Poppy, did you get shot? And I said, No. And they said, Your face was all bleeding on one side. Uh, and I didn't—I didn't know it—but there it were so many thorns. on my—I had a pair of pants on that I was not intending to go haul a deer out of the briars. And they were all p- pock picked with thorns. And I was picking thorns out of my shoes and of my socks. And for days afterwards, I couldn't believe how terrible it was. And you're, you're, then we—then we Andrew finally got in. Did I say Andrew? <laughs> it wasn't Andrew. All right. It was my firstborn. And so he got in and retched in and got a hole of one leg. And he said, Dad, you got to get the other one. Yeah, right. And I retched in. And I'll tell you, I could feel the blood coming out. And we got in there and and pulled it out. And Lucas, our trusty, well, someone had to hold the flashlight, right? (laughs) So we we got got in there and dragged him out and finally got him on the truck and and, uh, and brought him down to the house there, but I mean it was unbelievable how I thought, how terrible, what is the purpose of this of this plant, just growing up like that? and this is the, these are the words that he uses here. Watch the best of them verse four is as a briar, the most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge, and the day of thy watchman thy visitation cometh. five trust ye not in a friend. Put ye not confidence in a guide, and keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. That's your wife. In other words, you really can't trust your wife even in in, in the conditions that he was living in. We think we have it bad in our time. Let me tell you, this is pretty bad when he says you can't even trust in your friend. And you can't even trust it. You've got to guard your mouth from your wife. He says, For the son doth honor the father, the daughter rises up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and man, a man's enemies are the men of his own house. And God, you want me to go to this people now and, and preach uh, reconciliation and peace with them. And God says, And and Micah's got to reconcile this whole thing. Here's the will of God. And Micah's describing it, the conditions that he's living in. And he, and he he has the message to go to the people and say, you know what, folks, as bad as you are, as rotten as you are, God still loves you. And that's what he begins to tell you. He begins to tell the people, verse 7, Therefore will I look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And if we had time, we could look at more passages in the book of Micah there where he's looking at that and he's thinking this people is corrupt, the church is corrupt, the judges are corrupt, families are corrupt, everything is corrupt because, uh, you know, there's just a forsaking of God's law. Hear me out tonight. Hear me out. Once you put God's word aside, all this other stuff comes in. This becomes a way of life. When you leave God out, when you disobey, when you disregard, when you push back on God's word, or somehow or another you say, well, that doesn't matter to me because I've, I prayed and I got a feeling this way. Or whatever garbage that people might think or say. And, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God has moved aside. The Spirit of God uh, you know departed here. These are the kinds of things that happen. And Micah's right in the middle of that. Micah's right in the middle of that. And I'm wondering, surely there's got to be a church somewhere I can go to where people believe the message. And God says, you know what, but I called you here. I called you to this place. And he says, well, therefore I'll seek the Lord. And he reconciles that whole thing because he loves God. And he puts the love of God first. The second thing I'd like to say is that there's another character in the Bible who never, ever would reconcile, and that was King Saul. And we find over here, and without going into a lot of details a the story you're familiar with, David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in the coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. And you know how this all began? It was when a spirit of jealousy crept in. Remember? And, and David comes back from the battle and he's, you know, he's, he's walking down the street and people are shouting, Oh, Saul has killed these thousands, but David, these ten thousands. And everybody's happy. Everybody's rejoicing. But that was like seeds of jealousy that just dropped in Saul's heart. And you know what? He never countered that. And he never, even in attempts to try to uh, make this right, when David spares his life, once in the field, once in the cave, and David tries to show mercy unto Saul, Saul does not turn around and say, well, I'll repent and get this jealous spirit off me here. He doesn't do it. He turns right around comes back after David here. And even when Jonathan disagrees with him, his own son, and now they got, now they got disharmony in their family. And, and Saul, uh, you know, he looks at that and rather to try to make peace with, with Jonathan, he actually tries to kill him. And then when, uh, David, or sorry, when David is on the run and Saul, uh, figures out, well, he must be over here where these uh, ministers are, the Levites are. And he goes over and sends Agag over there. Remember Agag? And Agag goes over and kills 85 of those ministers who were over there. And slaughters them with his sword. Remember what I said in quoting Hebrews chapter 13 where Paul says, you be careful lest a root of bitterness spring up and many thereby be defiled. Because there's all kinds of people affected when the wrong spirit creeps up. The first place to reconcile, the first place to make the, the effort of reconciliation is in your own household. When, it doesn't, when that doesn't happen, it's going to spread. And other people are going to suffer. Other people are going to be hurt. There are some things that go away over time, but there's some things that don't. And so therefore, you have, to, you have to allow the Holy Spirit to deal with your heart. Because Saul died in this, in this position of never, ever being reconciled with David. He never did. He died in this position of You know, just trying to, still trying to protect his own hide. When he went to the witch of Endor and summoned up the spirit of of Samuel because he wanted to know what the future was. He's just, he's not asking, will David forgive me? He's not asking Samuel that. He's asking, will I die? What's going to happen to me? Is it going to hurt? He's just concerned about himself. And the wrong spirit will make, listen, the wrong spirit will only make you think about yourself. It'll never allow you to see the other person and how they feel, how they've been treated. They'll never see. That spirit will never let you see how you've spoken to other people and how that you may need to own some of this situation yourself. If we're going to make reconciliation the goal, then we have to go that extra mile in order to break down those fences and break down those walls that exist between us because that's what Jesus did. And a person who's angry only stirs up strife. An angry person lives for strife. A wrathful person stirs up strife. And a soft answer turns away wrath. Let's stand to our feet. I don't want you to come to the end of your days and look at your family and say, woe is me. There's no good in my family. There's. I mean, you can't trust your daughter-in-law. You can't trust your wife. You can't trust your best friend. You can't trust this or like a bunch of briars. You tell me if I had to live with, in, a, in a house full of briars, <laughs> I'd find another place to live. And I hate briars. And I've got the scars to prove it. And I, I, I don't want to be around briars. I, like, I just like to avoid them. And this is how he's describing the people of God. This is how he's describing Israel. What a terrible thing. Why wouldn't you want to be somewhere else? But God told him, No, I've sent you to this people right here. So he has to reconcile those two. And Micah comes back and ministers to them in a great way. And he's known his reputation is a great reputation. But, you know, it was not an easy thing for him to be where he was. I don't want to come to the end of my days and say, Wow, my family's all full of thorns and briars and my household is just... We might look great in church. We might put on the image. We might sing like lilies. I don't know if lilies sing. But I, you know, we, we can go through the motions of all of those things here but that does not impress God. And you understand what I'm saying. I, I think it's simple enough you understand God. If, if reconciliation is our goal, there's a point in time where you've got to kind of roll up your sleeves and say, there's something not right. I've got to go. I've got to go do that. Be the first to apologize. Be the first to repent. Be the first to make things right. even Even if you're not wrong. But you, you remember, like Jesus says, you remember that somebody has all against you. Go. In Matthew chapter 18, when thy brother, you know, got a go. That's what he says go. Don't send. <clears throat> and he doesn't say wait. He doesn't even say pray. He says go. And you become the messenger of reconciliation. You become the messenger of peace. He is our peace who has broken down every wall. He is our peace. Let's sing that tonight here. I hope you still love me. I hope you're still glad I didn't get to go to Africa. I was, I was uh, grounded up for a purpose here. And
3: he is our peace who has broken down every wall. Who has broken down every wall. He is our peace. He is our peace. So cast all your cares. For he cares for you, he is our peace, he is our peace. arms. grace God's wonderful grace grace that is greater than all thy sins sing it again now it's grace grace God's It's grace that will pardon and cleanse with your prayer tonight. I want to live the way He wants me to live. I want to give until there's just no more to give. I want to love There's just no more love. I could never, ever out love the Lord. One more time. Just make it your own song now, your own prayer. Want to live just the way that He wants me to. Live. Close your eyes. I want to give, Lord. There's just no more to give. Give me that kind of heart, Lord. I want to love until there's just no more love. Just no more love for I could never
4: the way you want us to live, Lord. We want to love until there's just no more love. What a tall order. What an amazing thing for there to be a people who had within them the Spirit of God that could make them love until there was no more love. and They could give until there was nothing more to give. Lord, help us to be that kind of people. Help us to be that kind of people that when outsiders or sinners may meet us, they would immediately get the message, the representation of reconciliation. If these are people who are reconciled with God, these are people who are reconciled among themselves. Lord, may we be that kind of people. But Lord, we want to begin at home. and We want to start there, Lord. Whatever it is, whatever way, whatever message we can send to others a message of forgiveness and a message of grace, a message of surrender, even when we feel we've been wronged. Lord, I pray that you would just help us, Lord, to extend that. Help us, Lord, to be moved by the hearing of your word. Help us, Lord, to be mindful of a person like Saul who had opportunities, Lord, to turn but never did. Help us, I pray, Lord draw us close to you. Lord, may you help us in difficult and trying situations, in relationships, Lord, where there might be touchy. Help us, Lord. Give us strength, I pray. We want to go with your blessing. We want to go with your anointing to get everything just right. Grant it, Lord, we pray. I commit the people now into your hands. And I, Lord, I know there's many people listening online and Many people, Lord, who may be pondering these things deep within their hearts, and I'm just going to commit them to you now. Pray that you would deal with them and give them your your inspiration, Lord, and may you guide them. Minister to the sick, Lord. We have mentioned these names tonight. My hand is on the prayer request, Lord, and I just ask, oh, God, that you would be merciful to those who are needy tonight. I commit the people in your hands until we meet again. In Jesus' lovely name we pray. Amen, and amen, and amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'll say yes, Lord, yes. Agree with God's word quickly. Sing it as you go. May God bless you tonight. If you haven't signed up, make sure you signed up. God bless you folks for being here tonight. Good to have each and every one of you here today. May God bless you richly in the balance of this week and come back on Sunday expecting.
3: I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me, with my whole heart I'll agree, and my answer will be yes, Lord, yes.